First Kings chapter number 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Pastor, I, I forgot to mention even in Sunday school, he's, he's on vacation. They're in South Dakota. And um, if, if, you're, if you're not able to follow them on, on the Facebooks, I can show you pictures of the hike that they attend a, a 10K up to uh, 10,000 miles up to the top of uh, some hill where they're, they're carving a monument to Crazy Horse. And it is going to be cool when it's finished, but right now it's just his face and they got to go all the way up. You get to do it twice a year and they were there during one of the times they're able to do it. So it's really kind of uh, pretty a cool experience for them. They have uh, medals and I'm sure they'll be happy to show you them when they get back. He'll probably be wearing it under his shirt when he comes here on Sunday. So um, anyhow, I asked you to go to 1 Kings, didn't I? So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, and uh, I'm going to read a passage. This, is, this today is um, it's unusual for me. This is going to be an unusual subject for me. And uh, I, I honestly came at this passage... Uh, studying it this week um, with intention of going somewhere else, uh, and and that's not the direction that I felt led in. And so I, 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 I mean, Georgia could say I, I kept going. Are you sure? Is this really the path I'm supposed to go on? Anyway, maybe you'll get it when we get there. But we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to read First Kings 18 and verses 1 through 16. And um, I'll tell you this. This will give you an, a, a, an idea of where I wanted to go. The title of the message was going to be. Um, uh, you know, I love my titles. Uh, the title was going to be Elijah, prophet of God, semicolon, terrible at hide and seek. So let's read first Kings chapter 18 and we'll start in verse number one. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab And there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Parenthetically now, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks, Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and the mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them uh, to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And Obadiah, as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered them, him, I am. Go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, what have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant unto the hand, into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sinned, sent to seek thee. And when they said, he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and the nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee that the spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find me, he shall slay me. 
But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord and how I hid a hundred men in, uh, of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him this day or today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and I pray that you would... um, as you would bless the reading of it, I pray that you would uh, focus my thoughts. Um, uh, Lord, I thank you for this passage and how it's spoken to me, and I pray that you would help me as I convey um, this morning in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so the title this morning is the new title. Uh, uh, it's not really that thought-provoking or anything. Working in the world for Him. Um, as we open the passage, we meet an individual by the name of Obadiah. Now, there are a lot of Obadiahs in the Bible. One of them wrote a book, named it after himself. That's imaginative, isn't it? Um, but this isn't that Obadiah. This is a different man. It's not the prophet Obadiah that, that wrote a prophecy. This is, this is a, a man, Obadiah, who, who was a governor in the house of Ahab. Ahab, if you don't recognize him, you may recognize the name Jezebel. Recognize the name Jezebel. You're talking wickedness and wickedness, and they married, and they're wicked, wicked. They're just, they're terrible. Ahab's awful. Ahab is building up temples to false gods and encouraging the worship. He built up the high places so the people in Israel could worship in the high places false gods. Ahab encouraged the sacrifice of children to false gods. Like Ahab was wicked, horrible, vile, terrible. Jezebel was that plus 10. Um, I just saw the other day, somebody commented on Facebook. Uh, they, they asked, uh, what, what are the strangest names you've heard? And, and, and somebody said, we had a student whose name was Jezebel. I don't think the parents knew the story. And uh, so you probably aren't going to name your daughter Jezebel. You probably, I mean, Ahab, there are other Ahabs in history, so whatever. But <clears throat> probably not the most um, uh, 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 probably not the best people to work for. Um, and Obadiah has, if, if you will, a kind of a marred reputation. Um, and, and a lot of times people have ragged him and almost vilified him. And, and I will admit, I have a message in my archive uh, that talks about Obadiah as being not that faithful of a servant of the Lord. And in my study this week, I thought, I'm going to have to admit the principles pulled out from Scripture are true, but I don't know that they're really that true about this man, Obadiah. I think it's kind of unfair the way he's been treated. And so Schofield actually says this about Obadiah. In such a time as the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, a believer's true place was by Elijah's side. Obadiah is a warning type of the men of God who adhere to the word while still seeking to serve God. World, I'm sorry. While still who adhere to the world while still seeking to serve God. The secret of the Lord and the power of the Lord were with Elijah, the separated servant. Now understand, but for, for like, about these remarks with Schofield, I would say this. God had 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed the knee or kissed Baal. 
This is, this is discovered later on when God's talking to his overwrought prophet who is depressed, feels like he's the only one left. God has 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Where were they? Well, they weren't by Elijah. Okay, what about Elisha? He's consecrated to the Lord and he's a follower of God. Where's Elisha? Well, when we find Elisha, he's plowing a field with 12 yoke of oxen or six yoke of oxen. Why wasn't he by Elijah? If the mark of a true servant of God was somebody who stood next to Elijah and was ministering as a prophet in Israel just like Elijah was, then there were no other prophets. There were no other followers of God in Israel. This is not true. This isn't really even fair to say this of Obadiah. In this church here, in our church, and I I hate giving a number because I'm not really positive, but I think there are four men in our church who full-time their, their full-time vocation is preaching the word. That means, since we have well over four people in here, the vast majority in this service this morning, you have a secular job. How dare you? Shame. In fact, shame. I'm, I am ashamed. No, the vast majority in here do not have vocations of preaching the gospel. As a, as a, if I, I hate using the term as a living, but it, as a living you, your, your vocation, your calling in life is, is to work and preach the gospel, and that's it. That's your vocation. That's, that's what you do. Most everybody in this room can't say that about themselves. You have another job. I, 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 well, what do you do for a living? Well, I do this, that, and the other. I, I work at this plant, or I work at this place, or I do this. You have a secular job. So it applies to the majority of the people in this room. It's an interesting um, the thought, <clears throat> the thought that is implied here is that Obadiah ought not to have been working his secular job. He ought to have been by the prophet being a prophet too and, and, and just, not, just leaving everything else aside and just doing this is not really even something you could call as, as biblical because Paul, the apostle Paul, was a tent maker by trade. He had a secular work. Aquila and Priscilla who worked with him he worked and lived with them because they were also tent makers by trades. What they did, they had secular work that they did. Um, Lydia, she she had a house in or a church in her house where she allowed uh, the church in Philippi to grow in her own home. The first European convert, and she was a seller of purple. She had a secular job. There were people Paul writes to of the household of Caesar, the household of the Caesar that would kill christians and they were christians followers of jesus of the house them who i salute those who are of the household of caesar so it's not really practical to say everybody in this room you ought to all quit your jobs and become preachers of the gospel it's not even biblical to say this having a secular job is something that is a necessity Jesus says you are in the world, but you're not of the world. You've got to live. You've got to make a living. You have to be able to pay your bills. You have to be able to live and work and earn money for your food and provide for your family. And it's not practical to say that every single person should be a preacher. That's something my dad is not a pastor, and his only two brothers are pastors. So he always struggled with the fact that I'm the black sheep. No, you're not the black sheep. You're the one who provided for your family. Uh, by working a job because you were not called to preach. You were called to the ministry. Your two brothers were. And there was never any looking down upon because he didn't preach and they did. 
Um, it's just not a fair thing to say. God should call every single person in this room to be a pastor. It's just not a thing to say. It's not fair. Um, so I want to look at this man Obadiah from a different angle than I have approached him before. And, uh, and I, follow with me as we do this. Because um, <clears throat> the things that Obadiah had to deal with while working a secular job, if you will, working in the house of Ahab, being the governor of his house, does not mean he worked out the works of the kingdom of Ahab. He worked the house of Ahab. And I believe there's a distinction between the two of those. Um, because Ahab was out looking for water for his animals, which would have been one of his household goods, and he was helping to take care of the household goods of his boss. And so uh, the heading over my Bible has the passage. It said, if you have headings, it says, a believer out of touch with God. But let's read what it says in chapter 18 and verse 3 again. Um, Let's go to the parenthetical here. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. There is not a however. It says Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. God gives us this fact that he was the governor of the house of Ahab. And he says, now I want you to pay attention here. If somebody, if you're talking to somebody, somebody says, now, now, you, th- that means before you jump to any conclusion, you catch this. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Now, when we look in uh, uh, to understand what is the fear of the Lord, I mean, obviously the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, but uh, the phrase in the Old Testament means a reverential trust with a hatred of evil. If it says of somebody in the Bible in the Old Testament that they feared the Lord, what it's saying is they have a reverential trust of the Lord and they hate evil. That's a fear of the Lord in the Old Testament here. So when we read about this Obadiah, God says he's the governor of the house of Ahab. Now you better understand he feared the Lord greatly. That's something God wanted to point out to us in this passage. It tells us what we need to know about Obadiah. It can be the lens through which we examine the rest of this passage as we read through this passage. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Um... I want to call our attention to a few things to remember when you find yourself, as most in this room do, working in the world. It's a secular job. It's an odd subject. It's a weird thing. And I honestly, I think this is, I think this is going to be helpful. I pray it is helpful. Um, point number one, working a secular job does not mean you are working against God. You could actually put a tagline on that. Working a secular job does not mean you are working against God. You could actually add, you can actually do work for God while working a secular job. <laughs> Have you, I've heard people say, well, well, I'm not a preacher, but, but are you an individual priest? You are. Well, now I'm not a pastor, but I, I read the Bible and it looked like, okay. Did you read your Bible? Did the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word? You're allowed to do that. He's allowed to talk to you. He's allowed to use you in your secular job, dare to say. Ahab and Jezebel had been in power for at least three and a half years. Because when Ahab and Jezebel come on the scene, Elijah comes on the scene and says to them, it is not going to rain until I say so. And it's been three and a half years because this is the time when God says, go show yourself to Ahab and tell him it's going to rain. We're going to have to sh- a showdown up on the mountain. 
your God against my God. And um, there's been at least three and a half years. I venture to say a little more than three and a half years because there has been a time past where Ahab and Jezebel have kind of shown this is exactly how they're going to be as monarchs in the kingdom, leading the people to worship and serve false gods against Jehovah God, um, setting up setting up Samaria as this wonderful capital where they will come and secular worship, uh, or I'm sorry, worship of false gods becomes a haven um, in, in Israel, in the northern kingdom. Um, and as governor of the house of Ahab, it, it, Obadiah was able to have some type of a pool, some type of an, ex, a, 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 an influence on the way things went and the way things worked. Um, and when Jezebel was killing the prophets of God, Obadiah used his power, this unique position, and so this unique influence he had to save 100 prophets of God. And he hid them 50 at a time in caves, and he fed them. So he saved them from being killed. That's, that's a big deal. He, he found them a place to rest and to hide, and he also made sure they were provided for with food and water. Now, how many of you know you need to eat more than one time if you're going to be provided for? You have to eat and drink multiple times, right? Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Maybe this is still going on. I hid them by 50 in a cave to save them from being killed. But Obadiah said, I fed them. I fed them with food and water. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. We kind of gloss over it, but that's kind of a big deal. A hundred prophets of God being saved out of the hands of this wicked, wicked queen of Israel. He wasn't by the side of the prophet, but he was busy saving the lives of God's prophets with the position that he had. It's not impossible to serve the Lord and to bring God glory in your secular job. It's, it's not an impossibility. Um, now, I, I don't think probably that anybody in here has the freedom in their job to go into the break room at lunchtime and stand up on the table and start preaching hellfire and damnation. If anyone test that theory, go ahead and try. But I don't think that's probably allowed where you work. Um, it wouldn't be allowed where I work um, at the church. Would y'all let me stand up on the table? I mean, they're plastic. It may not handle it. They're called lifetime, but they... It's a lifetime of a housefly, if you will. Um, uh, but you know... You may not be able to stand up on the table. I was facetious, of course. But you are given special access to those who you work with. I, don't, I probably will never meet the people you work with. Possibly. For sure, we'll never have that, that, that closeness and connection with them that you do. You're, given a, you're granted a special access to go in and to speak to people, to proclaim the gospel in daily interactions, and, and living out the gospel by your testimony. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that through your lifestyle and the way that you act, people are going to miraculously just get saved because, hey, they act like a Christian. I think I'll be one too. That's a cop-out. But the fact that you live, you live the gospel, people may start approaching you, and I know this is true of people in this room. People at work have approached you, and they said, hey, I know you're a Christian, or I know you go to church. They use whatever language makes sense to them. I've got an a aunt. I've got an uncle. We're going through a hard time. Is there something, I mean, they don't know how to talk, really, but you've been able to, and I know there's people in this room who have been able to help people, and some 
share the gospel with them, and some get saved. Is that not doing the work of the Lord in a secular job? It really is. Absolutely is. Um, I knew of a lady, she's still alive today, she's got dementia, and um, her daughter shares videos from time to time. She, in Jacksonville, was my, like, she was my friend. Like, we were buddies. We would go out to eat. Um, It was Tuesday or Wednesday. We'd go out to eat to Cracker Barrel, and we would get beans and greens. I wish I could say it like she did, but she has that Texas drawl with a southern accent. She lived in Florida for 40-something years. And, uh, and we'd get a, a, a beans and greens with a half sandwich. Now, I got a whole sandwich, but she would get a half sandwich and beans and greens. And you take your beans, the red beans, and, you, and a pinto beans, I think, and you, and you put, uh, you put um, uh, the greens, you know, collard greens. You mix them in, and then you get chow chow, which is some kind of a yellow thing. Carolyn Graham makes good chow chow. And you dump it in there and ketchup and some of that hot pepper vinegar stuff. And you mix it all together, and it looks like it's already been eaten, but it hasn't, and you eat it. But that's what we would do. We'd go out and have lunch, and we just, we were buddies. We would go hang out together. And, uh, but she told me of, a, a, of stories, because she, I mean, she, you want to talk about somebody who proclaimed the gospel everywhere she went. And I asked her, I said, so what was life like when you were a school teacher? Because she was a public school teacher for 40-something years. And then she, after she retired from teaching full-time, she went into just substitute teaching. Um, she taught English in the public school system. And you knew it when you talked to her because she would correct your English. Um, but but she, she told me, she said, this is what I would do. I would go into the classroom, and I had my Bible with me. And I would sit my Bible on the desk, and students would ask me questions. She said it changed over the years. It changed where students stopped really being so inquisitive. But she said if a kid broke the ice and started asking questions, I was allowed to answer them. Whatever they asked me, I could answer. And then they opened up the subject, and I was then able to ask them a few questions. And she won kid after kid after kid to Jesus. What did she do? Stand up in her English class and proclaim to them the gospel? No, she did not. She went into her classroom. She knew exactly what she could do, and that was having a Bible. They couldn't tell her she couldn't have a Bible with her. And students would ask her questions. She used those as opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Is working a secular job working against God? No. Can you serve the Lord while working a secular job? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, A danger that occurs when we work in a secular environment as a Christian is, is sometimes it's used as an excuse to do or to say nothing. Now, Obadiah, when we look at him, was he guilty of looking the other way when bad things were happening? Maybe. But here's the cool thing about this passage. God doesn't point it out to us. He doesn't say, Obadiah was the governor in the house of Ahab, which was, boy, what a stupid job to have, Obadiah. But he feared me greatly. That's not what it says. He doesn't, he doesn't point out the faults of Obadiah, and boy, he had to look the other way when they were doing this, when they were doing that. That's not what he says. It, the focus of the passage here is Obadiah is responsible for saving a hundred prophets of God right under the noses of the most wicked king and queen Israel had ever seen up to this point and possibly ever. And I say it again, working a secular job does not mean you're working against God. You can work for him while working a secular job. It doesn't preclude you from that. The second thing is you're going to have to combat against questioning God's motives. 
This is all going to come together in the very end, but you're going to have to combat against questioning God's motives. If we look back at verses 18, or chapter 18, let's look again at verses 7 through 14. This is the interaction between Obadiah and Ahab, or I'm sorry, and Elijah. Wow, what a, a bunch of people to mix up. Obadiah and Elijah. It says, And Obadiah was in the way. Behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou that, my lord, Elijah? Verse number 8. And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy lord, Behold, Elijah is here. Now catch Obadiah here. And he said, What have I sinned, that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? Uh, what? I just imagine Elijah... What? What are you talking about? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whether thy Lord has not sent, my Lord has not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from thee. Now, now who's implicated here? The spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so cannot find thee. And so, and when I come to tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord that when I, or what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go tell my, thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. You hearing the questioning of God's motives that is happening in Obadiah's heart? in mind. So Elijah, the prophet, comes to Obadiah and he says to him, I want you to go tell Ahab, very simple instructions, go tell Ahab, Elijah's here. Just go tell Ahab, Elijah's here. I want to see him. And Obadiah immediately flinches. Um, if I were to ask in here who would lose their job or could potentially lose their job if they were too opened in their sharing of the gospel in the workplace, you'd probably see some hands up in here. If you, if you were openly sharing the gospel at your workplace, you potentially could get at least in trouble, at the least, at the worst, potentially fired. Probably true of a lot in here. But here's another question. Does this give us a right to say no to the guidance and instruction of God in the workplace? Now, I am not saying in that second question, well, who cares about the rules? Do what you want. I am saying be cautious that when the, Lord, when the Lord tries to guide you into speaking to that person or into making a relationship with this person so that you can get closer to them and show them the gospel, that you say, what well, God, I could get in trouble for that. Um, where do you think the idea of saving the prophets whenever they started getting killed by Jezebel, where do you think Obadiah got that idea? You think he came up with that on his own? You know, Jezebel's killing people willy-nilly because they follow God. I think I'll save some of them. No, that came from God. God guided and directed Obadiah to save prophets. You save these men from being killed by this wicked, wicked queen, and I want you to feed them. And he obeyed. He just followed God's instruction. At the risk, I mean, nobody in here is probably at risk of losing your life, right, for the gospel? Probably not. This is the United States after all. Um, He meets Elijah while he's trying to look for water for the animals. Just trying to find water. They're out of water. I mean, it's been three and a half years. And he meets him. He falls on his face before him. He knew who Elijah was. He paid respect and honor to him. 
that was befitting the prophet. And Elijah just said, go. This is where we go off on our tangent. What a terrible follower of God, Obadiah. This is where we cinch our belts tighter and we say, bless God, I wouldn't be working in the king's house. I wouldn't be his governor if I lived in Israel at that time. Do you know how many good kings Israel had when the nation divided? How many good kings Israel had, the nation of Israel? Zero. I would have worked for the king before Ahab, but not Ahab. All of them were bad. Every one of them. Judah had some good kings, but all of Israel's kings were wicked. None of them followed God. None of them served God. This is the nation where Obadiah lives. This is where he resides. This is his home. And here Obadiah is working. I wouldn't work for the king. Look, I, I, think, I, I think I can think of a hundred prophets right off the top of my head who were glad that Obadiah worked the king's house. I think there's a hundred prophets who were like, we're so glad you're the governor in that house because my goodness, we would have been killed. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us and not letting us die. And Obadiah had a time of fear and questioning. Just fear and questioning. Every person in this room, including me, who doesn't work in a secular job, every person in this room has the capacity to do the very same thing Obadiah did. Question. And none of us work for Ahab. I hope. You may think your boss is Ahab-like. But none of us work for Ahab. Am I still, you're still awake with me. Y'all are smiling and laughing when I joke. Um, as long as you only laugh when I mean to make you laugh. How about this? Peter? Peter? Denied Jesus. Nobody knew Jesus quite as intimately as Peter did. And now this is how Peter denied him. Peter, read that passage and it says that he cursed It doesn't mean Peter said some bad words. It means that Peter cursed the fact that you would think that he knew that man, Jesus. This is Peter, the man who walked on water. Have you ever walked on water? I haven't. I have on ice. But I've never walked on water. Peter denied Jesus. Do you think you have the capacity of questioning God's motives? I think I do. John the Baptist We talked about him a little bit this morning in Sunday school. He had some questions. (laughs) Hey, would you go to Jesus and say, just, hey, are you him? Or should we look for somebody? I mean, it's a damp prison cell that I'm in. Probably about to lose my head. Is this him? Is this Jesus? John the Baptist had questions. Um, We tend to rag on people sometimes as though the times of questioning that they had are put in the Bible by God so that we can look at them and go, huh, I would never do that. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, and God just kind of probably chuckles and like, okay, really, you wouldn't, huh? That's great. I'm glad you're such a great Christian. That's not why I put that in there, so that you could feel better about yourself. He doesn't put this kind of stuff in here so we feel better about ourselves and how perfect we are. He puts it in there. He puts it in there as an example for us to know that when that happens to us, what's the way out? What's the way of, what's, how do you redeem that? How do you come back from that? I mean, does he not give us what happened with Peter after the denial? Does he not give us what happened with John the Baptist after the questioning? He gives us the rest of the story. Hey, 
you're going to be like John the Baptist sometime. You're going to say, are you really the one? You're going to be like Peter sometime, and you're going to actually have doubts. I, I don't really want to be associated. I mean, there's a shame here with me. What's the way back? Um, with John the Baptist, he was told to look. Hey, tell him, tell him, tell him people are being healed. And, and what else did he say? People are being healed and the gospel is shared or something like that. I don't remember. That's embarrassing. Peter, do you love me? Just simple. Did Peter love him? Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. So Jesus didn't say, then why did you deny me? He said, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? So you find yourself in a place of denial. Do you love him? Yes. Renew that. You find yourself in a place of questioning. Um, is he as powerful as he says he is? Yeah. Then just follow him. Let that be your answer. Um, we have Obadiah. He asked Elijah in verse number 9, What did I do wrong that you would deliver me to be killed? What have I sinned? I, I'm so, what did I do? Why am I guilty? What, what it, Ahab has already sent people throughout the kingdom, Elijah, and he took an oath of them, and they said, we promise you we don't know where he is. And I come and tell him that I know where Elijah is? Do you see the implication here? Elijah, I might be killed. You really want me to just go get killed? What did I do wrong to you? Why did I, what, why, did, why did I make you mad? And then he questions God's motives. You look at that real, real quick. Let's look again. I am aware of the time. It doesn't mean anything. Verse number 12. Came to pass as soon as I'm gone from thee that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee. God's going to trick me, Elijah. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to tell Ahab and the Spirit of God's going to take you away. And he's going to... Why does God want to kill me? Like, seriously, guys. Can I say this to you? This questioning that Obadiah is doing is a tactic of Satan, and it has been a tactic of Satan from the very beginning. Hath God said, let's cast doubt into what we know about him. And that's exactly what happened here. Hath God said, hey, the Spirit of God's going to trick me and kill me. Well, he, he probably could have just killed you when Jezebel was killing all the followers of God, but he didn't then, so why would he now, and why would he go through all this trouble? Oh, but I, no, 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 that's not it. Let's read the rest of the story so we're not going to get down on him because we find ourselves in the same boat. How do you combat these questions? This is the third point. It is important that we stay plugged in and we stay connected. Plugged into the word, connected with the word and with the people of the Lord is important. Now, Obadiah was in a place of great isolation. And that is not a gripe against him. It's just a fact of the matter. You know who else was in a place of great isolation? Elijah the prophet, who told God, you know what, just kill me. I just, I just kill me, God. I don't want to be alive anymore. Oh, so, yikes. That's not a good place to find yourself, Elijah. Um, what did God do for Elijah? You don't know the answer? Hey, um, Elisha is over here. I want you to go get him. He gave him a companion, somebody to be connected with, somebody to be an encouragement to him. Uh, now, we live in a wonderful, wonderful nation where we have the ability to have what we have right here in this room, connection. We're able to be plugged in individually as individual priesthood of the believer sitting in our home with our Bible in our lap and, and communicating with our God, but we also have the ability to come into a church building or a gym and we're able to sit under the preaching of the word and we're able to communicate with other 
fellow believers and we're able to talk with one another, be plugged in with one another, fellowship with one another, um, and take advantage of that family environment that we have here. Let's look again real quick. It's important to stay plugged in and connected. Verses 1 and 2. We're going to go back to the beginning, and we're not going to go through all 16 again. It came to pass after, after many days, <clears throat> Elijah has been with a widow, and her son died. He raised the son back to, the, to life. It's during the famine. And it says, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, now just catch this, go show thyself unto Ahab. I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. Why? Because God said, go show yourself unto Ahab. You got that? God said, go show yourself to Ahab. Elijah goes to show himself to Ahab. And there was a famine in the land. Uh, Famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah. Now we have a little side story. And Ahab tells Obadiah, I want you to go, and I want you to go find water. God tells Elijah, go find Ahab. Ahab tells Obadiah, we're going to divide the land between ourselves. I'm going to go this way, you're going to go that way. And it just so happened that the way that Obadiah went was the way that Elijah was coming from. Y'all catching the picture? What if they swapped? Who Who would Elijah have met? Ahab. Who was Elijah told to meet? Ahab. But who was in the way, on the way to Ahab? Obadiah. Do you think God may have orchestrated this meeting at all? Potentially. Elijah, I want you to go. I want you to show yourself to Ahab. And on the way to go meet Ahab, he runs into Obadiah, one of God's, one of God's servants, one of the people in the Bible that he says now, he feared the Lord greatly. And he meets him. And Obadiah meets Elijah and recognizes him. Um, and Obadiah is a little bit strung out. Famine three and a half years, searching for water. I mean, Elijah had to suffer the famine just as much as Ahab did. And Obadiah is suffering in the famine. He's looking for water. He's just trying to stay faithful, and he's, he's tired, and he's worn out, and he's starting to... And now when Elijah comes, and he tells him to go show, and now he's, oh, God's going to try to kill me, and he's just, he's just down. And Obadiah uses a term here, verse number 10, as the Lord thy God liveth. And Elijah says, in verse 15, as the Lord of hosts liveth. I want you to catch how how Elijah responds to this questioning. Because if I had a Christian come to me and say, um, God's trying to get me to lose my job. He's trying to help me. He's trying to get me to witness one co-worker. They've got some hard times going. And and, and he's just, I'm going to lose my job because he's trying to get me to be a witness, at least just to sidle up to them and, and help them in some way. I may lose my job, and I don't know what God wants me to lose my job. And I'd say to the person, why are you afraid that God... But that's not what Elijah said. What did Elijah do? Elijah points him to truth. He just points him to truth. He says, uh, yeah, you, you, men- you mentioned the Lord of hosts earlier as he lives, as is, that's a thing of surety. Uh, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. And Elijah's just reminding him, the Lord of hosts lives, and I stand before him, and I will surely show myself unto him this day. Elijah reminds him, hey, hey, we're in the same boat. We're in the same famine. Ahab wants to kill me more than he wants to kill you. And as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will show myself to him. I'm going to, in the fact of his living 
and the fact that I stand before him, that's not just the fact that I'm standing before him, but that I am his and I am under his purview and I'm under his command. He says, I'm going to show myself to this king that wants me dead. He has put out a search party to kill me multiple times. I'm about to show myself to him, Obadiah. Do you catch that, Obadiah? He's not, he's not rebuking him. He's just saying, hey, we're in the same boat, guy. And I'm about to show myself unto Ahab. And, 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 and Obadiah re- responds in verse 16. He just, he went to meet Ahab. And he told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. He didn't die. Well, there's a, when Ahab walks away. Um, but this, this interaction with the first Christian he's probably seen in a long time, renewed his spirit within him, renewed his faith to follow and trust God. Just that one interaction. And look at what we get every single Sunday and every single Wednesday. And if you meet together in the midweek or any other time of the week after church today for lunch, we get to meet together and we get to re-encourage ourselves. We get to lift ourselves up as Christians together. We're in a different situation than that of Obadiah. We're not in a place where we're in fear for our lives because we're followers of Jesus. But I understand this. It's a daily struggle to work in the world. A secular job is a daily struggle. I understand that. You you don't just get up and go in and you just get encouraged in the Lord by your boss when he reams you out one day. It's It's a daily struggle. It's a daily battle. Well, What about going to school in the world? Same thing. Your faith gets tested. Your faith gets questioned. Just like with David, where is your God? It happens. It's a daily struggle. And if we allow ourselves in that daily struggle to be reached by that daily struggle, the tactic of Satan will step in. Hath God said? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not true. How about some John the Baptist question? What about a Peter denial? We've got to stay plugged in and connected. And I'm not saying <clears throat> anytime you have a thought in your mind that's one of doubt or one of whatever, you just need to go to church more. I'm not trying to be that. That's not a cop-out answer. I'm just saying stay connected. It's possible to come into church and not be connected. It's possible to come in here and not be connected. It's possible to read your Bible and not be connected. Um, plug yourself in. Get and stay connected. Have a daily walk with the Lord, reading His Word, allowing His Word to speak to us, Praying, two-line or two-way communication um, between us and God, and we've got to make it such a high priority to stay plugged in with the people of God, with our family, our church family. Um, one of the most important aspects of our church is fellowship, and that 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 daily, weekly interaction and encouragement. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for the day. <clears throat> that you've given to us in, in an unusual angle to view a man, uh, Obadiah, and I thank you for the story of Obadiah. I just pray that you would help us this morning uh, as we go. Um, bless this church. Give pastor and the family safety as they're traveling. Give them a good time on their vacation, and may they come back rested and refreshed. In Christ's name.